0: Did you ever wonder what it would be like to be one of the last people on Earth? We're talking ghost town! Who would you see? There's nobody. I mean, there's nobody. Ah! What would you do? Hey, I'm sorry if the end of the world makes me a little nervous. Where would you go? The stars are up we <laughs> Well, get ready to find out because the comet is coming into your orbit.
1: The legal drinking age is now 10, but...
0: You will really need ID. Let's be real. It's the night of the comet. What do you give me if I come back? Texas. Night of the comet. I'll be taking requests from all you teenage comet zombies. The night the teenagers ruled the world. Yeah! Night of the comet. The burden of civilization is on us. isn't it? Oh,
1: Welcome to Definitely First Blood. This is our ninth episode. It is exciting stuff. We're talking about Night of the Comet. Great. One of our favorites. Yes, definitely. And we had a pretty exciting week. Kelly Maroney from the movie Night of the Comet, she plays Samantha the cheerleader. Uh, she gave us a retweet on Twitter, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, we thought we. Thank you, Kelly. I guess you could call us dakota and l because we were fanning (laughs) it's a good one (laughs) thank you uh so a a special hello to anyone who might be coming across us from that tweet and her twitter Mm -hmm. welcome we are a horror movie podcast we our our focus is sort of horror movies of the 70s 80s 90s Sometimes today. Sometimes today. And I think we've really accepted like the early 2000s as part of it as well. Yeah. Because I mean, it was 18 years ago. Definitely. Definitely. Also, exciting episode. It's my birthday episode. So I know... Happy birthday. I know Night of the Comet isn't really a super straight up horror movie. It's more of a sci-fi movie. But it's my birthday Mm -hmm. and I'm doing what I want. (laughs) I'd say it's definitely got horror elements to it though.
0: I would agree. Our zombles. Our zombles. Not, not to. Spoiler alert. Anyway. How are you? I'm good. I'm trying to uh, befriend a goose. You're
1: trying to befriend a goose.
0: Yeah. At. At my place of employment, there are a lot of uh, our nation's uh, mascots. One of the many the Canada goose the Canadian goose yes Sorry. exactly the Canada goose <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> uh i think it's on one of our bills probably flying regardless the one that i'm dealing with right now is not on a bill although it has a bill which it uses to hiss at me every single time that Sounds i walk it's like a mean ass goose yeah it's a mean well He's protecting his lady who's nesting in a pot. Adorable. Yeah. So I can't really blame him. Um, So it's been, you know, probably a week since they settled in, him and his lady. Uh, And uh, today I've decided to try to, you know, sort of make amends with them. Uh, for stressing them out by walking past them on my woodwork and I've been giving them oats trying to win them over yeah <laughs> and uh, today was the first day of oats he seemed to like it he stopped hissing at me the second I threw them on the ground and that's good and I know that they're goose safe because I looked them up
1: definitely sounds like a positive adventure today and I Look forward to hearing about how your relationship progresses. It sounds like you guys are getting serious.
0: Yeah, it, it does. Um, uh, but I'm sure these geese will one day kill me. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> they are wild animals. And uh, that, yeah, that's a disclaimer. Never feed yourself to wild geese.
1: I think that's pretty sage advice.
0: Don't add sage to yourself and feed it to wild geese either <laughs> night of the comet 1984 movie yes
1: 1984 directed by tom Everhart. okay produced by wayne crawford and andy lane and let me tell you it would seem that there was some drama on the set really yes so today before we get into the nitty-gritty of the movie I am going to talk about the production of the movie because there's a little bit of of drama involved.
0: I'm excited because I'm very catty, as
1: you can tell. All right. Drama on the set. Drama on the set, but we'll get to that because we're starting at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. So our director, Tom Eberhardt, when he was a kid, he loved end of the world post-apocalyptic sort of movies like five target earth the world the flesh and the devil movies that he referred to as quote-unquote empty city movies so all signs of humanity have been erased yes so his love of film uh in addition to that stemmed from a appreciation and fascination with strong female film icons namely ginger rogers
0: nice so it's sort of like a proto final girl yeah sort of thinking
1: yeah i mean i guess this is 1984 so there's been lots of final girls
0: no definitely but i mean like in his influences growing up like the movies he liked and the people he was inspired by when there's no one in the city, in movies like that, you sort of see the mov- the city
1: as it really is. Yeah, like yeah. Omega Man. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so because of these influences, he came up with the idea to write a script about the end of the world with two smart, savvy, and funny women in the lead roles. It's my cup of tea. I love apocalyptic movies. Prior to Night of the Comet, his work was predominantly with PBS directing after-school specials that starred teenage girls, and he took this as an opportunity to do some research and run the idea of Night of the Comet by them. So while they were on a lunch break one day, he asked them something like, what if you woke up?" One morning, got out of bed, and then discovered that everybody else was gone and you were the only people left. So it kind of surprised him because the teen girl's immediate reaction to that wasn't whether or not to, like, question what happened to everyone else, Mm -hmm. why they were alone. It was instead they were excited about all of the stuff that they could do now that they were the only people left on Earth.
0: That's really interesting.
1: So based on that, he asked them another question what if there were bad guys in one of the works that influenced him the most target earth uh, it's like apocalyptic 50s style robots he kind of wanted to know how they would react if they were in the presence of something villainous so the two of them said that they would get guns because if they knew that they were the only ones left in the city they knew that there would be plenty of guns All he really knew about these girls was... Or he assumed... The interview I read didn't really say how exactly he knew this, but he said the girls had never touched guns or owned them, but it didn't even faze them that they would need to start collecting artillery for self-preservation.
0: A very American
1: mindset. And the girls didn't even really seem to see a downside or bring up a downside with the idea until, and I guess it's important to note that this is the early 80s when Mm -hmm. this might have had a bit more weight, but they weren't sure what would happen if there was boyfriends in the mix. Uh. Particularly if there was only one boy between the two of them. Yeah, there's
0: potential for uh, hurt feelings there. But it seems like they're very industrious.
1: Yeah, I guess that's when he saw the first sort of crack in the confidence Mm. i guess they didn't really know what would happen in that situation but based on the conversation with these two girls he began to write the script and he was so excited about the idea and writing the script that he did it in two to three weeks so he just pounded it out yeah he said he was having uh just too much fun putting these characters through the paces
0: well i can tell because they seem really organic and they seem like they're having fun in the movie
1: so he took the scripts and the idea to orion pictures and it didn't go well (laughs) they didn't pick up the script uh so he and his business partner met with the financing department at Atlantic releasing. Mm-hmm. So Atlantic was having a little bit of a problem at the time because they were desperately in need of a script, as they had just had a very unexpected hit with 1983's Valley Girl, which coincidentally stars Deborah Foreman, who plays Muffy Buffy in April Fool's Day.
0: So many connections
1: so they had a ton of money raining in so fast that they were having a hard time hiding that money from the profit participants in <laughs> that movie and they wanted another film for the teen market to capitalize on the suce- to capitalize on the success that they were experiencing from Valley Girl
0: and that kind of sucks cuz like they were independent filmmakers themselves and now they're sort of trying to weasel people out of the success (laughs) of
1: something they all made together, you know? I know, it's kind of shady. Atlantic had $700,000 and they wanted to invest it immediately. And all that they said to Eberhardt was to make it different because movies like Repo Man with Emilio Estevez were seeing a lot of success on the drive-in circuit and movies with more of an avant-garde flair were being... Uh, considered more viable at the time
0: oh that's nice it definitely is a notch above usual fare of the time
1: i would say they just said to get it done but the only point of contention was that tom Eberhardt wanted to direct the movie as well as writing it and atlantic did not want him to direct so they offered to buy the script from him for fifty thousand dollars
0: that's a lot back then
1: he said no and then after about a week long standoff they ended up calling and offering him $25,000 for the script and $25,000 to direct the script so he took the offer this is when things get a little dramatic, a little rocky as I mentioned before the producers assigned to the project were Andy Lane and Wayne Crawford and they had just written and produced Valley Girl, mm-hmm. the successful movie from Atlantic. And they Eberhardt considered them to be the kings of no-budget and low-budget productions.
0: After one movie.
1: <laughs> I, I guess. So Wayne Crawford and Tom Eberhardt went out for dinner as production was starting to ramp up. And... Crawford essentially told him that he didn't get the script. He didn't understand why Atlantic wanted to make it in the first place. And they had a contract and he knew they had to work together. So they were going to have to work together. He even admitted that he didn't like or get the movie. Part of that animosity, as you mentioned before, yeah. or you sort of brought it up, was that... At Crawford and Lane were profit participants in Valley Girl. Oh. So they had the suspicion that the money that they should have been making from that movie was being spent instead on this movie. Wow. That's so bold. So they weren't shy with talking about their dislike of the scripts or with their lack of enthusiasm. There was something happening behind the scenes with the two producers. That was not brought to our director writer, Tom Eberhart at the time. Producer Andy Lane had a secret plan. A secret plan. To replace Tom as the director. Oh, that's cold. So their plan was to let him shoot for a week. And then they figured Atlantic would see the dailies and think it was terrible. And then our two producers would come in. They would plead their case and say that the director should be replaced. They even had a director already at the go that they wanted to hire. Oh,
0: waiting in the wings. And
1: it was the one producer, Wayne Crawford's acting coach, Roy London. Ugh, convenient. Who would have guessed? All that Tom Eberhardt knew about all of this was that our two stars, Kelly Maroney and Catherine Mary Stewart were being sent to work with an acting coach. A mysterious acting coach. Well, he didn't even know that they were going to an acting coach oh. at all. And so he confronted the two producers, and they essentially tried to gaslight him.
0: Never a good sign.
1: Yeah, so they were like, Oh, this is just a totally normal thing to do. Uh, but Eberhardt knew that this was false. And they are like, oh, well, their acting is just so amateurish. We we just need to to get them meeting up with this guy. Mm-hmm. And, fun fact, Heather Langenkamp was the frontrunner for the role of Sam, which is played by yeah, Kelly Maroney. Our cheerleader. Yeah. I can't imagine them having anyone else. No. But as we know, also in 1984, a little movie called Nightmare on Elm Street came out mm. starring Heather Langenkamp. So, the second clue he had was during shooting, the director they'd picked, Roy London, was coming to set with the two producers to look at the dailies. And uh, so it was the director they wanted to replace him with, Roy London, Tom Eberhardt, Wayne Crawford, and Andy Lane, and then the, the director of photography yikes yeah
0: that's a really shitty sign
1: but much to the chagrin of our two producers here Mm -hmm. atlantic either it it wasn't clear to eberhart really he doesn't really know what the situation was at least at the time of this interview uh was that either atlantic was liking what they saw or they just didn't care enough and they didn't want to spend the money to hire another director nice so after about a week So this all happened pretty fast uh, The producers And Eberhardt Knew that they were Stuck together It's
0: like that season of Survivor Where they're all just like Hey look we're all gonna vote each other out yeah. In the end <laughs> So like I love you like a brother But like except they hated each other <laughs> I hate you like Whatever the opposite of a brother is
1: for what it's worth, though, uh, Tom Eberhardt does give the two of them a lot of credit. He says that they never could have made the movie on such a small budget of mm-hmm. $700,000 if it wasn't for them and that it was a Herculean, that's a quote, task uh, considering how much effort and work was getting put forth on such a small budget.
0: Which is amazing because it doesn't look like a small budget movie at all
1: and we've we've sort of talked about this before in terms of when we watch reality show drama. Yeah. So the three of them really acknowledged that they don't have to love each other. Mm-hmm. They do not have to like each other, but they have a job to do and they have to do their job.
0: Which is like mature and also interesting for pro- for like producing a work of
1: creativity. Yeah. So they worked on making sure the budget was met, and then he was able to do the creative stuff. Um, I was watching an interview with Kelly Maroney, and she—and Catherine Mary Stewart, I think, was also in the interview. And they were talking about how they had to film on Christmas morning— just so the streets were as empty as possible. And they were very empty. So if there was like a window cleaner in the back or anything, the shot was ruined because they didn't—they couldn't just CGI yeah. them out at the time. So, and then a lot of the street scenes, they'd try and shoot as quickly as possible when cars were stopped at stoplights. Oh, nice. So it seems like they really tried to do... And did do yeah. the, the best that they could I with think they such succeeded. a small budget. Anyway, back to production. It was really important to Eberhart that it was supposed to be a teen fantasy with a mix of scares and laughs. So while they were filming the scene where Samantha drops the TV on the bad guys mm-hmm. and you can see this in, in the movie as well, she's smiling
0: oh she's having a great time it's like
1: home alone so our good pal andy lane was furious (laughs) he pulled the director aside and said that the girls looked like they were having fun and that it looked like a joke to them when they should obviously be having the crisis of their lives (laughs) so yeah
0: yeah, because women can't handle smg's Stands for submachine guns.
1: Well, Eberhardt rebuffed this curiosity by saying that they were having fun because that's what he wanted. Yeah. And at the time, there wasn't really an obvious model for this kind of movie. So generally at the time, they didn't really mix genres. Okay. So to have this sort of like sci-fi horror comedy mix... Especially on such a small budget. Mm -hmm. This guy was just more worried that they'd have to reshoot in the small. That they had paid X amount of money to get the time to film with. All in all, the movie wraps up. And when it was released, it got nationwide distribution which was the first for Atlantic re- releasing. Oh, that's great. And they did it as sort of an experiment, I guess. So on a budget of 700,000, it ended up making 25 million. <laughs> and that's so much money. So interestingly, it was also in the first generation of movies that got a home video release as part of wow the normal release pattern. And it ended up staying in Variety's top fifty for eight months.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So, like, imagine a song on the charts for for that long. That's that's so amazing. So this got widely spread and seen by a
1: lot of people. Yeah. It was it was received pretty well, but overall, I would say it's definitely become more of like a cult film over the years. Yeah. And so Eberhardt did get his chance to be caddy. So after Night of the Comet, Mm -hmm. that Roy London, Wayne Crawford, and Andy Lane went on to do their next movie. I'm sure you've heard of this movie, Jake Speed. Mm.
0: Jake Speed is one of my (laughs) all-time movies that I've never watched.
1: Yeah, or ever heard of me neither prior to reading this. So Jake Speed, I guess, was essentially a, an Indiana Jones riff, where he does a lot of speed. No, no, that's his oh. his bad his bad guy name his Ooh. badass name Jake Speed. So he is played by Wayne Crawford, who that was his goal was to be an actor rather than being a producer (laughs) was directed by Roy London and produced by Andy Lane on the promotional artwork for Jake speed. It said it was like a classic Indiana Jones style illustrated, like Wayne Crawford shirt ripped open, a woman hanging off his arm. And then on the promo material, it said from the producers of night of the comet. Mm Mm-hmm our director, Tom Eberhardt, got invited to the premiere. He says he can't remember how the movie was. (laughs) But... It's a good sign. He does remember that afterwards he met with I can't remember if it was Andy Lane or Crawford. Maybe it was both of them. And he was like, oh, uh, noticed that from the producers of Night of the Comet thing <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, yeah, uh, well, that was the studio's idea because it's our best our best known thing right now, yeah, pass that book, and he said, "Well, I guess soon you'll be known as the producers of Jake Speed." <laughs> <laughs> So that's that drama. Oh my god, that's so cutting. I know, it's so good. I like that part. I didn't even write that down, I memorized it because I was so... I raised my glass So sure that I was going to remember it. Clink, clink. Clink. Shall we begin the movie?
0: Oh, I'm excited. And you know what begins the movie? The beautiful Atlantic logo, which is one of those classic, like slowly animated, unraveling film metaphors. It's really <laughs> nice.
1: So we start with a narration.
0: Mm-hmm. Since before recorded
1: time. I didn't write the rest of it down. Either, but, uh, he, our narrator explains the situation about the, the comet that's coming, yeah, blah, a blah, blah. Visitor
0: returning.
1: We cut from this narration... To a montage Of people having a good time yeah. Getting ready to party for the comet
0: And there's this great uh, up-tempo beat uh, I believe the main chorus Is like celebrate tonight I don't even know how it goes <laughs> But it's like one of those amazing Never heard it in any other Context except this Extremely specific one And maybe it doesn't exist in any other context Which is amazing
1: Songs. <laughs> It's really good. So during these montages, mm-hmm. we finish on our head usher or head of a movie theater.
0: Yeah. Uh, the The captain of the movie theater. He's trying to hawk some extremely expensive, like Martian
1: antenna, yeah, goggle like a, things. A, I can't think of the word. Why am I blanking out antenna? on this word? Novelty. Yeah, novelty. novelty antennas. Yeah. Like, Whoa. Sort of
0: like you'd have you at you New Year's, but okay, this is $1984. He's trying to upsell this guy to like a $9 head antenna commemorating uh, the comet. Which everyone is out in the streets Everyone is very excited about they this They cannot comet. wait to see this comet. In fact, there are people in the streets holding signs. I'm not sure who they're directed at. That just say,
1: I heart comet. <laughs> so after uh, our usher at the same theater, mm-hmm. we are introduced to one of our heroines. Mm-hmm. 18-year-old Regina Belmont, who is killing it on an arcade machine that the game is called tempest tempest i'm not sure if that's an actual game or not it's a little before our time it seems very complicated whatever it is some guy starts trifling asking her where the bathroom is mm-hmm. she's not having any of it but uh, her boss mel i guess yeah. mr antennas sees all of this and tells her she has to go for a walk through all the seats.
0: Which is such garbage because, I mean, what? who are these people in this theater? The, the squares who don't want to see the Comet live. They want to watch a movie instead while wearing $9 headdresses. Yeah. Like, it makes no sense. Like, I, if I were her, I would definitely want to stay inside and try to best that damn DMK who has taken a spot on her top 10 list because she has every single top 10 score on this arcade machine.
1: Yeah, she specifically calls it
0: really annoying.
1: It is really annoying. She's a champion. From Reggie going into the theater, we get introduced to Larry, our projector guy, who is on the phone. He's wheeling and dealing, trying Mm -hmm. to sell a limited shit, or... a limited edition print of it came from outer space in 3d i believe he is pissed that he has to meet the comet uh but he has to meet the buyer at the theater in order to sell it for a whole 110 dollars yeah he he, talks him into
0: they're gonna copy it and then bring it back to
1: him in the morning because it
0: better be back by the morning
1: (laughs) back at the belmont residence Mm -hmm. Samantha is watching the Comet broadcast and she gets a call from Reggie who asks to talk to Doris and their stepmom.
0: Yeah, their hated stepmom. And may I say, for good
1: reason. She's abusive. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Reggie is calling to or give an excuse as to why she needs to stay out late and wait with her BF, Larry.
0: May I just say that the excuse that she gives uh, is not that she's being offered $15 (laughs) as an incentive uh, to stay the night (laughs) with our projectionist. (laughs) It's kind of bizarre, but I mean... Fifteen bucks is fifteen bucks. You probably get two of those antennas for
1: (laughs) for for almost that much. Doris isn't buying it. She says that Reggie needs to be home, Mm -hmm. but she's eighteen. She doesn't have to. She doesn't want to.
0: She punches
1: like Sam in the face after slapping her. She's trying to get Samantha to get ready to come out and watch the comet. Mm. And Samantha says she doesn't really want to watch the neighbor, Chuck, rubbing all over her stepmom. And she says one of the best burns, I think, in movie history. It's so good. You were born with an asshole, Doris. You don't need Chuck. So (laughs) then she gets slapped by Doris. Mm -hmm. She slaps Doris back. And then Doris punches her. And she rolls over the couch to right beside the TV. And then Doris heads back out to her comic party. Like like punches her, like clocks her. Totally clocks Very her. Very violent. Understandably, Sam takes off. And it's off screen and they don't mention it here. But I guess she ends up spending the night in the storage shed in the backyard. Yeah. And outside flashes of light begin and the comet seems to be approaching yeah
0: it's it's uh it's not looking good may i just say
1: <laughs> the so it's everyone's outside at this block comet party i fire guess fire in the sky it's starting it's fantastic it's very beautiful looking it is it's some pretty cheesy 80s graphics impressionist in- interspersed in there but uh even better,
0: 80s acting as the comet drives them crazy basically and then dehydrates them. I'm not sure what it does, but um, vaporizes them, it turns them into a beautiful terracotta powder.
1: Yeah, um, Doris has this like really weird reaction when the uh, comet starts, it's almost like uh, shock followed by bliss. It's kind of weird. Nice. Uh, but anyway, then we cut to the next day, another montage of uh, tableaus of what the world looks like now. So it's a lot of red to yellow gradient tones. We've got yeah. like a bicycle in a schoolyard, the mm-hmm. wheel spinning. Um it's really beautiful actually. Yeah, there's a red haze over
0: the top third of the the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh presumably comet haze. And we get to see what the world is like in 1984 solely through automated processes. Yeah. So I made a list of them because I was interested in it. So we have an animatronic clown advertising used cars. Okay. Uh, we have a pool cleaner, automated pool cleaner. We have a radio and we have a sprinkler. Can you imagine what it would be like today? I have no idea. Yeah, there'd be phones going off. There would be smart homes awaiting instruction. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming coffee pods made and overflowing.
1: They're little cups. I don't know. Fun fact, the red dust is actually brick dust.
0: That makes sense because it's very red.
1: (laughs) Reggie and Larry the projectionist wake up. Mm -hmm. They have spent the evening in the projection room. And Larry is absolutely pissed because the buyer for his film is Mm -hmm. late. I mean, I don't know how he would know he's late since he's been sleeping the whole night. But I guess he's late. Nonetheless, and uh, he decides, because of this, he's going to take his bike and ride to go meet him instead. And uh, leaving Regina with
0: no $15 and (laughs) no Egg McMuffin, which she's
1: pretty bummed about. Does she ask for an Egg McMuffin? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Explicitly by name. Huh, I didn't really hear that. <laughs> or I didn't write it down anyway. So uh, outside, off screen, Larry is he's killed by a zombie homeless man. As you are.
0: With a big wrench.
1: So interesting to note in the background of this. The title of the movie that's playing at the theater mm-hmm. is, or at least the poster in the background, is called Red Dust. Ooh, I didn't see that. Yeah, so that's nice. an old science fiction movie, actually. Um, So she is back to playing Tempest. She finally knocks that friggin' DMK out.
0: Yeah, asshole.
1: Victoriously, she grabs a Twizzler and heads back outside where she sees it's absolutely empty.
0: And she does her best to prop open the door with a big ashtray, but it
1: doesn't work out for her since she gets locked out. And being an L.A. native, Mm -hmm. her initial reaction and comment on the situation is, whoa, bad smog. (laughs) Like
0: she's seen it before. And may I say her outfit is pretty spot on like probably one of the best for apocalypse day one she's wearing cigarette jeans high-waisted and uh what's his face's shirt she looks
1: great yeah so the production designer really wanted to give both girls uh an individual identity Mm -hmm. through clothing and sort of do it in a comic book sort of style where they have general ideas of what they would wear. Like, you know how in comic books, people essentially wear the same thing all the time? Like, or variations thereof. Yeah.
0: (laughs) If you want to say it pretentiously, sorry, everyone.
1: But yeah, I I totally get what you mean. Reggie spots a trail of blood, and she decides to follow it. Yeah, very sinister. Uh, And out of nowhere, the zombie, alien, homeless man comes out. She does, like, a a Buffy-style, smart, sass... Talk back. Oh yeah, man. And warns him that she's trained to hurt him if he comes closer. I'm trained to take care of myself. Yeah, so awesome. He does. Yeah, he's
0: like, come here, and like, why? Why would you even? Oh, okay, I'll
1: come here. (laughs) (laughs) She beats him up anyway, and then she steals his bicycle for a pretty epic Blade Runner style drive away. Oh,
0: definitely, and. Like I again I wanna like stress the direction in this movie is amazing. Yeah, it's like very handheld camera when they're fighting versus what's usually like a sort of
1: honestly sort of like David Fincher, like very still static camera most of the time. I can see that comparison for sure. Back at the house, Reggie has arrived back home. She can't seem to find her sister or Doris. So she heads upstairs towards Sam's room. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of establishing cuts. And jump scare, Samantha's home. <laughs> Not only is Samantha home, she has no idea what's going on. Yeah, she's completely ob- oblivious to the dust. This is when she tells us that she ran away after her fight with Doris the previous night. Yeah, who can blame her? And she spent the night in the storage shed yeah her team's her cheer team
0: storage shed. right now though, she is focused on going to cheerleader practice. She is wearing an eighty dollar in nineteen eighty four dollars cheerleading outfit and the little dance that she sort of does you you get Regina framed within her legs and she does <laughs> this like little like jig almost. It's it's very expressive.
1: Yes. So that that whole thing, it carries through another couple of points throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, the director really there's like a scene later where she's coming out of an elevator and you Mm -hmm. only see her shoes and she's distinguishable by like her footwear and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not even her when she comes out of the elevator, but that was something that the director wanted to cover. I like it So Reggie tries to convince Samantha that something's wrong Samantha's not really buying it So Regina brings her outside One
0: of my favorite parts of this movie is when she recognizes Doris's clothing on the ground In a pile of brick dust Picks it up and says You want Doris? I'll show you Doris This is Doris Yeah
1: and then she pours chuck out of his shoe.
0: Yeah, it's like shoes that look like they've never been worn before. But it's great.
1: It's so good. She's like, where are the kids? It's Saturday morning. Where are the goddamn kids? Yeah, there's like nothing. Everything is dead. Sam, however, is in total denial. She just turns around, walks straight back in the house, back inside, hear the radio DJ. And Samantha's immediately like, see, not everyone's dead. So they assume that the radio DJ that they're hearing is alive. So they decide to head over to this radio station, HQ. Uh, which is probably like one of the most 80s art installations yeah, I've ever like seen. Yeah, it's like 80s neon fantasy. And I wrote down that yep. it's like the most intense interior space it's like when um Catherine o'hara in beetlejuice mm-hmm. redesigns their house oh yeah it's like almost exactly the same but <laughs> like darker
0: and purplier it's very sparse uh neon by richard john jenkins oh, i wrote down from the nice. credits i have not googled that yet but i look forward to seeing it because there's a lot of neon in this there's apparently a smoke machine, Whoa. red lights. I guess uh,
1: it's. I great. would imagine these radio DJs were doing crazy amounts of cocaine. Yeah, it really, like, just imagine a space that looks like <laughs> cocaine is done there openly. Uh, both unfortunately and fortunately for them, no one is actually there. It's just a yeah. pre-recorded tape, but there's a man there. Who has beat them to the radio station? Yeah. And he's got a gun. Hector. We'll learn his name in a little bit. Yeah. But they, uh, he asks them to step in the light. So presumably he wants to see if they're zombies because mm-hmm. their eyes give them away. Yeah, it's the first sign. Yeah. As we later learn.
0: Um, and I love all of the pushback that our sisters give basically everyone in this movie. They're very yeah. sassy. I love it. So he's holding her at gunpoint and she's like, you got a lot of dates this way? <laughs> Fantastic. I wish I had the nerve and the
1: wit. Great bands. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so he gives his, his tragic backstory to bring us up to where he is at this point in the story. He saw a guy at a gas station eating a cat well he was heading to san diego with a girl that he had Mm -hmm. picked up and that's when they saw the zombie eating the live cat after they had slept together in
0: the back of his truck
1: uh the girl and he got torn apart and she was eaten by said zombie Duh, and uh For some reason, his recounting this story makes Regina get upset about Larry, who had died for the first time. So she goes off to the bathroom, and Hector, real gent, uh, follows to try and console her. Yeah, goes to check on her, but not in a creepy way. And this is when Reggie starts putting uh, the clues together, because she asks where... He was last night. Yeah. yeah. So she sort of figures out that they were all indoors. They were all in like uh, steel encased spaces. Steel's
0: gotta be the answer. (laughs) Good old American steel.
1: While these two are uh, making friends in the bathroom. Samantha makes her DJ debut. Yeah, she's left alone. And you better believe a homegirl is taking Mm. advantage of it. So she goes on the air. This is Samantha Belmont. Hey, is anybody there? No one's there, obviously. No, yeah. Uh, she so she decrees as the new ruler of Los Angeles that the legal drinking age is now ten. But ten years old. It's great. You'll need ID. Let's be real. Yeah, it's strict. Very strict. So she says to call in with any requests because I guess that's what the radio normally does. And big surprise, the call light goes on
0: uh oh so she receives a call from uh what she refers to as a think tank
1: yes reggie tells hector where they mm-hmm. can get the guns and then they're interrupted by sam coming in to tell them about the phone call mm-hmm. she says they're like a think tank blah 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 blah
0: and uh we cut to our underground bunker or underground base
1: we get introduced to queen mary warrenov
0: yeah
1: andy warhol muse really Anne. miss white uh oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. and uh yeah so they're debating what they should do about this radio situation Mm -hmm. uh the psychiatrist divulges that he doesn't think He doesn't think that they'll leave the radio station because it's a connection to normalcy or something like Like that. Like
0: classic, crazy science psychobabble. Everyone is dressed in like Dharma Initiative boiler suits. Yeah, It's so great. There's like weird, uh, unconventionally polygonal doors that like (laughs) slide open. It's really good. It's like 80s futurism. Yeah, really good. So,
1: Mary Warnov does not think that they should go get the girls. Uh, she thinks they should just stay in the bunker because, as we learned, she is she's like the nice one.
0: Yeah, and at first they make it seem like she's not the nice one. They make it seem like she's callous and uncaring. Yeah,
1: and they get news that there's four, maybe five survivors mm-hmm. in San Bernardino. Yep. So we go back to uh, Sam. We cut to Sam. She is driving alone and she gets pulled over by the cops. Yeah, she's drunk driving. Yes, she's drinking while she's and driving. And she has
0: no license. So not, I mean not a good combination.
1: That the cop makes his way over mm-hmm. to her car. Except zombie cop melty face
0: raiders of the lost dark zombie cop
1: he attacks, but she wakes up. It's just yep. a dream. Oh, thank god. So she sees that Reggie's still sleeping and heads to the bathroom in what I think is probably like the most tawdry Mm -hmm. scene of the movie. She strips off her chair uniform and is getting redressed when she's again grabbed from behind by the zombie cop.
0: This is for your stepmother.
1: But then she wakes up again. It's
0: like inception, pre-inception, except it occurs inside the Bob's Burgers 80s bathroom. <laughs> That's a good reference. Yeah. I like that.
1: This time uh, Reggie and Hector are there, and Reggie tries to comfort her before she heads in to see Hector working, working out.
0: Yeah, man, because he's got to go back to San Diego to see presumably the ash piles of his family yeah, and friends?
1: he wants to go see his family in the morning to see if they're still there and uh, Reggie takes this as an opportunity to tell him about mm-hmm. their broken family she gives us some exposition yeah. that their dad was in the special forces and he sympathizes with her that her boyfriend has died but yep. she doesn't really care she and says they weren't really that close back. yeah <laughs> And while they're doing this cute flirting, Sam is on the other side of the apparently paper-thin radio station walls. Yep. uh, Scratching her neck suspiciously. Mm -mm. So, from here we go to the most iconic scene in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I would say one of the most iconic 80s movie scenes that I can think of.
0: I like it pre-assault weapons ban yeah submachine guns
1: so they're they're practicing their shooting at a car those crazy blocky ones that you play with in Grand Theft Auto so in this scene uh, there's like a bit where the gun jams mm-hmm. and it or, or, uh, and Sam has like a pretty cute reaction and the reaction was actually improvised. Because they were given a note while making this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, If anything doesn't work or goes wrong, it's meant like that. Just roll with it. Like it's meant to happen. That's great. Because it
0: does feel so
1: organic and like they know each other. So uh, Sam says, see, this is the problem with these things. Referring (laughs) to the the gun. (laughs) daddy would have gotten us uzis (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: fantastic man
1: so she asks reggie if she shacked up with hector Mm. reggie says she didn't and then uh but they call it um did you make it with him which to me
0: is so much better than oh did you hook up with him it's like did you make it way of saying it I would say, did you make it with him is more accurate than did you hook up with him. There's actually not much
1: swearing in this movie, I don't think. Not that I remember. But, regardless. Yeah. It's great. Uh, Reggie says she didn't, and then Sam sort of divulges the reason why she might be a little bit mad or jealous is that Reggie has swiped every guy she's ever liked, And and she just swiped the last man in the world, potentially. Super serious face. But then, they start laughing because they're sisters, and they don't hate each other. Women getting along, working together—sisters before
0: masters—and
1: like organically, it's not shoehorned in there. (laughs) The next, the next day, the next Mm -hmm. morning. Well, I guess it's the same morning. Um, Back in old San Diego, Hector has pulled up on his family house
0: and and naturally for some reason felice navidad is is playing on a loop
1: (laughs) to really drive home his latino heritage yeah
0: and that it's christmas i
1: guess yes Um, well it's 11 days before christmas it's december 14th uh, i
0: see i guess it's because it's california that i don't recognize it but it is a absolutely beautiful california craftsman home Uh, with those like weird columns on the built-ins that separate rooms it's so amazing like the sort of thing that they always destroy in house hunters renovation and replace with a bunch of tile or something
1: yeah yeah he gets a knock on the door which uh knocks the the jfk portrait off the wall yeah very polite to knock he opens it to see his zombie kid yeah, so his
0: filling a pillowcase with personal family portraits is interrupted.
1: <laughs> uh, so he runs away and says, lucky for you, I like kids. Yeah, uh, I have a gun. <laughs> and then he says, there goes the neighborhood, yeah, it's... which is a Dennis the Menace reference. As they
0: completely trash his family home, like destroyed doors. It's like a Benny Hill sketch. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good.
1: Back at our underground bunker, Mary Warnov, mm-hmm. what, what Sorry, what's her character name? Uh, Dr. Dr. White. White, yeah. Dr. White is trying to find the code for this mm-hmm. mysterious virus or affliction that they've encountered. She has notes written down that say stuff like acceleration, loss of memory, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And she is intruded upon by some dude who says they think they found the San Bernardino survivors. Oh yeah, four or five people from Pasadena,
0: (laughs) including children. They make sure to
1: stress. He brings her uh, to the lookout, and then they head down to meet the two children who have survived from San Bernardino. Mm -hmm.
0: And can I just say, one of the points that he makes, I think this is the psychology guy maybe, it's either him or the head of this facility, but he's like our core purpose of our initiative is to survive by democracy. And I'm like, by democracy, you're going to (laughs) survive. People are going to fucking panic and make bad decisions. You know, we need someone who's like clinically dead (laughs) to make all those decisions like a robot. Just cut all this out.
1: (laughs) No. Uh, Dr. White is fed up we're seeing that kids are her fucking limit yeah this is where she draws the line she hates them seemingly uh, again getting a a reference that dr white here is our our white hat yeah <laughs> reggie and sam are hanging out on the hood of a cop car They're giving a a rundown of the situation, talking about the apocalypse.
0: Slugging down cokes and juggling police batons.
1: And how Reggie likes Hector. She says he's nice. He is nice. Sam is a little upset about all of the deaths, like all of the people that she knew.
0: Yeah, I mean, fair enough. It's probably the better part of 4.9 billion people. (laughs)
1: Reggie, being the amazing older sister that she mm-hmm. is, wants to take Sam's mind off of everything. Yeah, so they do what anyone would do, really. Well, but girls, <laughs> they want to have fun. Uh, <laughs> oh, girls, they want to have—that's all they really want. Uh, on, 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 on. They just wanna—they just wanna. Girls, they want to have fun they do in a beautiful cover by Tammy Holbrook may i say they head to the mall get uh they a, get glammed up with yeah, submachine they get the glow ups
0: it's like it's like uh, angelina jolie and mr and mrs smith
1: naturally I imagine. <laughs> cute lingerie first and then they move on to the luxurious furs and the makeup Really nice dresses. But then we see the security camera move. And they're being watched by spooky Eye dude and his three cronies. (laughs)
0: Willie.
1: Yeah. Uh, The girls are talking because they don't know that they're being watched. And Hector is coming up again. So Samantha asks, what if he's gay?
0: Yeah, because there are no nice guys. They're either... A
1: gentleman or a fag she says which yeah, is pretty spicy <laughs> because he didn't try anything um, she says that it means the last man on earth is either a gentleman or a fag spicy language but acceptable at the time I yeah, suppose
0: and, and also a pretty sad state of affairs if for men if if they're so uncommon that
1: oh my god he didn't try anything <laughs> who would have guessed our punk watcher comes over the loudspeaker Mm -hmm. and uh, Reggie asks Sam if she has her gun, which she doesn't.
0: Yeah, they've gone missing.
1: Uh, Spookmeister sees her and tells his cronies to get her. Yeah, and
0: naturally, you see the last two women in L.A. What do you do? You have to murder them with guns. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, they're (laughs) zombies yeah
0: I, that's true they are zombies they're all wearing sunglasses in yeah. fact there's one guy who's wearing like nine or ten pairs of sunglasses all sort of nested
1: in with each other that go all the way over his forehead <laughs> very yeah, of max headroom it's nice and they start shooting at reggie mm-hmm. and from behind sam being very resourceful She keeps throwing shoes at them to distract them.
0: Yeah, and those would hurt if they hit you in the head. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, The boys destroy a mannequin, apparently modeling the latest fashions for Whistler's mother. She's wearing a bonnet and a full black, like, (laughs) church cloak.
1: I'm not even sure. It's great. In the middle of her throwing things, Sam spots something sort of off frame but higher up and she says that it's time to take the high grounds and then we cut to our abandoned police cruiser that the Mm -hmm. girls were sitting on uh the helicopter from the desert has arrived the dharma corporation Mm -hmm. and this is when we get the tv scene that i was talking about where sam throws the tv down and calls them a bunch of wimps
0: and drops it right on the
1: head of that blonde dude who looks sort of like Eminem. I also wrote down Eminem. <laughs> yeah, good because he's got like a bleach blonde buzz yeah, cut. Same wavelength. So she boots him in the sack, and then ends up getting taken hostage by our lead creep Willie,
0: who somehow has found time to get Willie embroidered on his Hugh Hefner style house coat. And it, but it looks like a turkey, but it says Willie.
1: Uh, Reggie confronts them and he shoots his own man yeah so reggie says that he's crazy and he says you're crazy i'm not crazy i just don't give a fuck nice (laughs) modern statement (laughs) they're about to shoot samantha in the head and then our doctors from the underground society finally show up yeah finally and they they kill our mall punk zombies. Who were like subjecting
0: Samantha to Russian roulette. Yeah. Pretty extreme
1: psychological torture for no reason. Because of Samantha's rash and itchiness the doctors are assuming that Samantha has been infected mm-hmm. and they take Reggie away leaving Samantha there under the guise that they will come back and pick samantha up and can i say
0: this is one of my what are you doing" for the week okay you you are ride or die you can't leave your sister alone rash or not you know what i mean i know what you mean man i wouldn't leave you alone if you had a rash <laughs> so... i'd stay by your side and if you were sick i would just be like well too bad <laughs>
1: lucky for them Samantha is totally clueless so they start to run a bunch of tests on her presumably to see if she's infected or not mm-hmm. and uh, they say they're like it's they're just gonna kill her right yeah
0: basically that's what they're planning because any sign of infection means that she's not a good candidate
1: to come back yeah she can't uh, get blood harvested yeah hat our white hat mary yeah is seemingly going to kill her yeah she gives her a needle injects her straight away but it's 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 just put her to sleep yeah as we find out later
0: uh and then uh as soon as she's asleep we cut to
1: well the doctor thinks that our white hat has killed samantha so then the white hat shoots him yep and then uh, Hector has arrived back in Los Angeles.
0: Finally, after escaping from uh, <laughs> Feliz Navidad on on a loop and a child in Terry shorts.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's back at the radio station where he finds that it is empty. Sam and Reggie's are seemingly gone. Yeah, but he does find our white hat, Mary Warnov, on the couch wearing sunglasses. And
0: he is dressed as Santa Claus. So one of the first things she says to him is, "I'm
1: gonna miss Christmas
0: Permanently. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of heartbreaking. And she says the ventilator fans were left wide open. What were they thinking?
1: Which is how our underground crew has survived the apocalypse, by, uh, but got infected. Yeah, They were underground, but the vents were open.
0: So presumably the comet sprinkled dust or something on them, yeah. or what have you. Comet it doesn't really matter. Red comet dust. And it got into the ventilation system. And they only have 36 hours to live before they get completely ghoulified. So she gives herself a lethal injection. And there is a really nice boom lift shot of her dead on that giant S couch.
1: Looking really cool
0: with her sunglasses. Yeah.
1: Back at our underground base, they are giving Reggie the old what for. They're Mm -hmm. questioning her about whether she has hepatitis. Yep. Uh, she says she doesn't have hepatitis, no. but she thought she was pregnant once, the longest three weeks of her life. Yeah,
0: well, that's not important. Uh, Maybe not to you, science man,
1: but like, if I thought I was pregnant, <laughs> it's extremely important to me. They essentially expose that they are blood farming. And uh, they're so... Like, these two nurses are so sinister.
0: Yeah, and it's like that banality of evil thing where they're just like, oh, they're so hokey and cute, you know? So they make people brain-dead, people who survived the comet encased in steel, and then they harvest their blood. Yeah. At a non-sustainable rate. So they they brain-dead them, and then they bleed them.
1: So they're trying to find out if Reggie is, like, a good candidate Mm -hmm. or not. And uh, she's being very willful in their questionings. Very willful, as she should be. Uh, I forget the the question, but she responds, cancer. Yeah, I'm a cancer. You have cancer? No, I am a cancer. Me too. So their plan with Reggie's blood, anyway, Mm -hmm. is that they're going to use it for a serum to try and... Uh, cure themselves yeah. because they're thinking because they she seems to be uninfected that her blood must be the key
0: and Doctor Carter bursts in uh, to the room where they're interviewing her. He's wearing sunglasses and he's like, uh, "Hey, uh, your sister's dead." FYI, <laughs> yeah, he says that the, that her sister's died and like she, she doesn't buy it though.
1: Dude, heavy thing to drop on someone so casually. <laughs> At the same time outside, Mm -hmm. Hector and Sam are breaking in. They pretend that Sam is dead in the trunk. Yeah, he's dressed up like a cowboy. He says, uh, go through
0: like a turkey crap on a tin horn, and I have no idea what that means.
1: (laughs) Reggie (laughs) has broken free at this point, and she's making a, a run for it, but then she gets captured again.
0: Yeah, she hits the psychologist with the computer, which is yeah, awesome. that's pretty sweet. <laughs> Knocks him the fuck out. Uh, and then she makes her way to uh, a completely dark room, which is also apparently the flashlight storage room, because she finds one and with said flashlight identifies that, oh, there's a bunch of people strapped to... Yeah, <laughs> gurneys,
1: and they appear to be harvesting their blood. She manages, being the heroine that she is, mm-hmm. to break in right before our evil nurses kill the kids.
0: Yeah, and the nurses are like, "Don't worry, kids. When you wake up, you'll, you'll be with
1: Santa. You'll be
0: living with Santa for the rest of your life. It'll be great." <laughs> uh, so. Sh- Samantha, while this is happening with Regina, Samantha kills the support systems by turning off all the power. Yes, and very true. Everyone who's who's brain dead but pumping out blood Dies, is I hope. is
1: now hopefully just regular dead, and no longer a blood farm. <laughs> uh, the nurses back off. Yep, and then the next time we see them, they've been strapped to their own blood machines yeah. by, I guess, Sam and. Reggie. It's they're, really they're great. They're giggling because they're being gassed. By
0: laughing gas. And a sign says, gone to Santa. And uh, the heads of this facility just leave them there to die, basically.
1: Yeah. Uh, our heroines have escaped with our two children, Brian and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, the boy, is actually portrayed by the son of the actress who played Doris, Sharon Oh,
0: Farrell. Interesting. Yeah.
1: So, they drive off in the car with Cowboy Hector. He uh, is apparently a big fan of costume changes. Yeah, the Wild <gasps> oh, West. What? You know what? What? When he came back to the radio station, he was dressed as Santa, right? Yep. And then they tell the kids that when they wake up, they'll be with Santa. <laughs> so that's kind of good interesting. connection. I just put that together now. Good
0: connection, man. Uh, uh, so
1: they they drive off a little bit, not super far away. Yeah, in
0: this beautiful maroon like nineteen fifties car with white wall tires. And then kaboom! Yeah, they because they Hector had apparently did did they ever explain where he gets the TNT from? No, he pulls it out of thin air. That's what I had written down. But honestly, I don't care because when there's no one left in the world, the world is yours. You can find TNT wherever the hell it is and no one is going to stop you from breaking in and getting it so I have a feeling like he probably is like you know what I'm not an idiot I'm not going to go back and defend which is such a big thing like he had no obligation to defend anyone or go back for anyone oh no not at all he's doing this out of the goodness of his own heart he did so it's like one of those like really positive things that they don't rub in your face is
1: positive which I really like I agree. I mean, for being so corny yeah. and over the top, traditionally speaking, yeah, this movie is also very subtle.
0: Oh, I, and I think it the direction and the characterization are so good. The cinematography is great. I love the close-ups on people's faces and the way that it sort of shows power relationships with the framing and everything.
1: They all watch the fire of the death of our evil scientist. And
0: Sam loves it. Yeah, she's very impressed. She's dancing.
1: It's great. Uh, But right when they're celebrating, uh, little Sarah is plucked from the car. Yeah, not good. Uh, So Regina
0: Regina tosses uh, the uh, gun to Hector and hector blows the science dude away basically
1: (laughs) and our heroes are safe it would seem
0: uh so we cut to uh everyone is seems to be dressed for
1: church yes (laughs) the next day reggie's being very motherly to these children you know i've I love this movie, and up until now, it has been really good. And I still like the ending. Yeah, the I'm just a little I I would be remiss to say that I'm not a little bit disappointed in the ending, Mm -hmm. just because Reggie was such a strong, independent, uh, like badass character Mm -hmm. throughout, and she's just so quick to be like. Well, the whole burden of civil civilization lies on us. Now I'm gonna be like a mother to these kids. I'm yeah. gonna be like a nerdy dweeb. And like I don't know.
0: And it's it's not it's not the being a mother is bad or anything like that. No, it's just not at that it's all. It's sort just, of out of character. Yeah, prefer.
1: it's like a character shift and that the, I don't think was really needed because it almost be better if she went full Sarah Connor. Yeah, or, or like
0: or like um uh furiosa or something yeah yeah like because the thing is she's she's right civilization in terms of relating to these kids and relating to everyone else hector her sister that's civilization right now but you don't need to recapitulate everything from when there were what 100 million people yeah i haven't Three hundred million people in California, I think. I don't know. Thirty million people. No, it's the same population as Canada. One... I'm very sorry, Americans. I know nothing about your population.
1: One positive about this whole mm-hmm. situation, I will note, is that at uh, lots of different races, like the little girl yeah. appears to be Asian. And oh god, that might be wrong. Uh, Hector is obviously Hispanic. Yeah, and then we've got Brian, who's white. Yeah. But it's Reggie not, who's white.
0: It's not like shoehorned in there though. So it's not nice.
1: yeah. obviously Reggie oh. and Sam can't reproduce. So they it's like a, a good gene pool to draw from. Yeah, definitely. But I don't know why they think they need to repopulate the earth. You definitely don't they like, definitely, Just don't. do
0: whatever the fuck you want, man. You have infinite supplies basically of everything that's not fresh food. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You just gotta get but to it before it's destroyed. They seem to really be holding on to these these norms. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess it's something that they really want to instill in these kids because yeah. they want the kids to walk with the light, even though Sam is like, "What's why? Yeah, you don't need to." And then she runs out in the middle of the street, being like, she's yelling, "Yeah, like why
0: then, do I why do I need to cross
1: with the light when there's no traffic?" Well. You know uproars uh some dude in a convertible
0: yeah uh not just any dude it's danny mason keener
1: yeah man dmk,
0: DMK as his license K, plate says. which is so what a great callback
1: to uh the the uh arcade game he wants to take sam for a ride yes <laughs> and she says she likes his car and he says thanks i have 23 of them 23
0: 23 <laughs> The number 23.
1: So they pull off. Everybody's starting a new life. Civilization goes on.
0: As long as she's back by midnight. And that (laughs)
1: is the end of the movie. Such a good movie. Really good movie. One of our favorites, definitely. Oh, this movie is so good. From everything, like the the cinematography is great. Uh, Like the direction is mm-hmm. awesome. Can I the be acting is pretty
0: good. Like can I be honest, the, like the direction the cinematography remind me of like a peppy upbeat, Silent of the Lambs.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Well you said before Close ups on the face,
0: yeah. you get a lot of expression and there is really nice character development that is not like oh, I have to give you all this exposition about my entire life and this and this and this.
1: It's really nice. Oh, definitely, and um, it's a a relatively influential movie as well. Uh, It's actually particularly Kelly Maroney's character of Sam was like the inspiration behind Buffy. Mm. Like Joss Whedon was hugely inspired by this movie. I
0: did not know that, but that makes sense
1: because they are. Assertive people. Yeah, she's she's the cheerleader who has a duty to protect the world.
0: Yeah. I really like it, and I admire her school's confidence in going with a white baby blue and baby pink color scheme. Yeah. The rebels. Extremely was the the cute.
1: Team. Very cute. Much like she and her sister are rebels. They are rebels. Seem.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking about uh, earlier today was conditions where, like, like we get to see their story. Yes. But what are the other what are other instances where people would have survived? You know, like other situations.
1: I think there's probably a few. Do you have some okay. you would like to talk about?
0: Yeah, I made a list, and I'm not sure how applicable all of them are. So the ones with steel. I was thinking about, like, ships and, like, power stations, um, tanks, Yeah, I guess, tanks. although I'm not sure how many there would be. Submarines, definitely. Uh, shipping containers, which is really sad, sort of, but I guess that's how Hector survived. Yeah,
1: kind of the same yeah. idea, yeah, for sure. I'm sure certain jails... Uh, oh, you know what? Jails are a pretty good one, but it would suck because, like, what if? But they'd be stuck there. Yeah, the They're, guards. They would what just if die? the guards got yeah. dusted? Be terrible. Yeah, they would definitely just die. Uh,
0: and then I was thinking about maybe non-iron things like Cheyenne Mountain, like
1: the like the military underground bunkers or things. I guess another. Point to note, mm-hmm. uh, especially about lots of those situations. Uh, obviously, not including the submarine, would be like that uh, if there was any sort of air ventilation.
0: Yeah, that they, would, they would get
1: zombified at least. Definitely, like a delayed
0: reaction.
1: Well, yeah, that's why the the people underground are getting zombified, right? Because yeah, they didn't they have the air. Yeah. So,
0: the other thing I was thinking about is that, like even let's say you're on like a ship in the middle of the Pacific ocean, you're still going to go on the deck to see this once in a lifetime comet. Right. So probably. Yeah. Yeah. I get any of the other situations I brought up
1: really also don't really specify if it was the fact that they spent the night in those places. Mm -hmm. That's just really Reggie's theory Very true. Or if it's something in their blood, like they were just immune to it.
0: Which would make sense because they're sisters. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. Yeah. Regardless, fantastic movie. I, I think not well known enough, really.
1: It's great. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. Uh, so we're coming to an end of our episode. Mm-hmm. And it's time to do... One of my favorite segments, mm-hmm. which is six degrees of Jamie Lee, mm-hmm. um, pretty easy one this time. Okay. I decided to go with Kelly Maroney, nice. our our retweeter, our favorite person of the week, <laughs> and uh, so she was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. She played Cindy, really another cheerleader role. Nice. Uh, she was in that with Ray Walston, who played Mr. Hand, the teacher that Spicoli uh, sas talks. And then uh, he was in House Arrest, 1996, Mm -hmm. the one where they're locked in the basement. It's like... Oh. Yeah, and Jamie Lee Curtis is one of the parents. (laughs) So another really easy one. I like it. Yeah, we're nine for nine. Nine for nine.
0: House Arrest. I wonder when the last time someone thought of that movie was. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Philosophical question what's the sound of one house arrest clapping I don't no know. one knows it doesn't matter that seems to bring us to the end of our, <laughs> our episode so if you have more ideas about ways that someone could survive a meteor in this way you
1: could tweet at us at deaf first blood we're, yes yeah. we're on instagram as definitely first blood uh, you could even email us at definitelyfirstblood at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you aren't already, totally follow us on one of those. We would really appreciate it. It sort of lets us get a better idea of how many people we're reaching. and Who are reaching? Yeah, it gives us an opportunity yeah. to talk to you guys. So uh,
0: Yeah. And we're always on the lookout for new entertainment ourselves. So if you've got a podcast or something, tweet at us. Let us
1: know. For sure. Definitely. So with that, we are... Definitely First Blood. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you. I hope you guys have an amazing weekend. And it's my birthday weekend, so...
0: Yeah. Pour one out. Pour one out. Into your own mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Alright, drink it. Thank you so much, guys. Yes, Bye! You Bye!